Welcome to the Wisecast by Sundaram Mutual. The Wisecast will cover everything from the world of finance and investments for you. Through our podcast, we will try to make this world easy for you to understand and share views, strategies and tips to help you make the most of your investments. Stay tuned. So, in today's podcast, we'll talk about asset allocation and its importance and we have with us today Sunil Subramaniam, Managing Director of Sundaram Mutual. Thank you for joining us on the Wisecast, Sunil. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Shweta. So, Sunil, my first question to you, and um, this is for beginner investors. What is asset allocation? Well, asset allocation is a fancy word used by the mutual fund industry <laughs> a lot. And I think it's a word which scares a lot of people. So, let me demystify the word asset allocation first. Right. So, when you say asset allocation, right, so the one basic thing that everybody uh, should be aware of is that in your life over a period of time, you build two sides of a personal balance sheet, which is liabilities and assets. And to put it simply, liabilities are what you borrow, assets are what you hold. Liabilities are what you owe other people and assets are what other people owe you. <laughs> right? So what is the importance of liabilities versus assets, right? So as you earn money, whether it's through a salaried income or rental income or through your business income, your income to the extent that you don't spend automatically becomes your asset, right? To the extent that you borrow, you know, as to borrow to buy a house or to, you know, for your business or whatever, your liabilities will build up but in the hope that the assets that you are going to use those liabilities to acquire. Now, I agree that every liability doesn't go into an asset, right? There are liabilities like you borrow to go on a holiday and holiday is an asset in only in intangible ways that you got pleasure from the holiday, but they haven't actually built it. So, all liabilities don't necessarily lead to assets, right? So, what is then the importance of assets in your life? Assets give a sense of self-worth to you, right? When you say net worth of a person, I'm worth one crore, worth two crore, that's the value of your net assets that is your assets minus your liability that's why it's called net worth right so assets are essentially everybody in life right and unless you want to file for bankruptcy is hoping for a day where your assets are in excess of your liabilities now the assets right the investment in assets right there are multiple choices right you can keep all your money like uncle scrooge you know big big huge locker in your house right how you can go and put it all in a bank deposit right so the word asset allocation is nothing but the fact that as a human being you have a choice of where to put that excess of your money over the liabilities that you have right in terms of their future uh return delivering capacity. Again, I've used a very complicated long sentence, return delivering capacity. The reason I say this is that all of us are earning income, which to the extent we don't spend straight away because it's an asset, it may be cash lying in your house or in the bank, right? The issue is that we cannot be earning income all our lives. There comes in a time in our life when we stop earning, how we can't stop spending. So the whole idea of asset allocation is that when you get the surplus income, you are going to put it in an asset and which should grow in value over time so that at a time when you are not adding income to generate fresh assets, this asset can be liquidated to maintain the standard of your life and your aspirational needs at that time, right? So the word asset allocation comes from the fact that A, first of all, 
that your assets are greater than your liabilities. Second, that you are going to prudently deploy the assets in a way that in a time when there is no fresh accrual of income, these assets come to use, right? So then comes the need of asset allocation. Clearly, there are different assets available in the marketplace for you to deploy. You start with cash in hand, right, which you keep in your locker. You things go into cash in the bank. And then you can have various investment avenues like public provident fund, national savings certificates, private sector fixed deposits, right? All of these assets that I spoke about, except cash, which does not deliver a return, all of these deliver to you what is known as a fixed return, right? The, the bank deposit assures you a certain rate of interest. The public provident fund assures you a certain rate of private sector, right? So these are called fixed income assets since the income there is fixed in a way. Bear in mind that fixed is only the intention of the person to pay you. He may not deliver that because if he doesn't choose to, if he doesn't exist at the point they have to deliver, he could default on it. So fixed doesn't mean guaranteed. Fixed means that what is going to give you come hell or high water is going to be only that. Right. Next we come to a set of assets which are unfixed in terms of their as income generation. When I say unfixed, it means that they don't give you any commitment, right? Nor there is a guarantee, right? Now, in this space are all the other assets where you can invest in gold, you can invest in real estate, you can invest in equities. So, why they are unfixed, right? Because they don't guarantee a return or they don't commit a return, right? Why would you then invest in them? Because they hold the promise of giving you a better return than what your fixed income assets are going to give you, right? Then you have a choice to make. Do I put all my money into that which is fixed so that I have a certainty in the future that I will earn that much every month or every year? Or do you put it in an unfixed asset where you're not sure what you will earn, right? Now, the, why is the reason this at all a choice? Because left to himself, everybody would like peace of mind and go into a fixed income and try to assess only whether that institution will exist to give you that income, right? The issue is the big, big elephant in the room, which is called cost of living, another name being inflation, right? Because most of fixed income assets, right, are generated from, they're investing in fixed income assets. Like you give it to a bank, a bank lends to a company, which then gives us an income. But every company's income is a function of inflation, Right now, that inflation it hurts you because remember you are building up those assets, income generating potential in the long run. So you want something which will grow in value faster than inflation. Only then you have created a net wealth which would be of utility to you in the time when you stop earning. Right. So the reason to enter into the unfixed income space is because inflation itself is unfixed. You can't know. Yes, past track record tells you that over 15 years, over 30 years, inflation has been 7% on average. However, 7% average doesn't mean 7% year on year. It could be 2% in some years, it could be 25% in some years. It could be different for different types of expenditures, right? Education, the inflation in education is far higher than the inflation in food prices. So which inflation do you choose? But you need money for future education. You need money for future health expenses, which are also inflating at a different levels. So inflation by its very nature is an unfixed, you know, expenditure percentage. So when you have a fixed income asset, regardless of what, once it's fixed, 
that you can be sure right sometimes it will give you a return positive on inflation and sometimes it will give you a return negative now though the word fixed income gives you a mental sense of uh, uh, comfort that it's fixed when you are fighting a battle against an, an unfixed enemy what's the point of having a fixed return right because you are not sure then whether that fixed return is going to always compensate by the end of the time frame when you're going to stop earning whether it would have made a positive wealth accretion to your thing so the thing is that fundamentally no fixed income asset can combat the battle against an unfixed enemy so you need to fight unfixed expenditure rise of inflation only through an unfixed income so obviously in choosing this unfixed income that asset class right has to be something which has the ability to beat inflation in its own playing ground why i'm saying this is i mentioned to you three common asset classes like gold real estate and let's say equities now gold rises generally sometimes when inflation is very high so excellent hedge against inflation sometimes when there are wars sometimes when there is political uncertainty so those periods don't necessarily mean inflation in your country second gold is a world traded commodity so the war in the western world could lead to rise in gold prices but it may not mean anything in your country or a war in your country right but the gold prices are fixed internationally so while gold does correlate with a high inflation meaning high gold prices it's not a certainty or a guarantee that it will always beat it the second is real estate right now real estate again is is generally inflation hedged to the reason that one of the key sources of income right is the fact that property rental income so generally rents rise with inflation so you would expect the real estate markets valuations to rise with inflation the problem here is that the problem of demand and supply of real estate in pockets means that this distorts that ability of real estate to compete with inflation right one second as a real estate is the recipient of inflation so what you will generally get is something that matches with inflation because that real estate prices rising are itself a component of calculating inflation so while real estate may cope with inflation there is no guarantee that the particular property that you are investing in will rise faster than inflation because it's a function of demand and supply about urban development in that area about you know people's incomes rising so while overall as an asset class real estate is correlated with inflation the specific investments you make may not necessarily deliver that word which i'm going to now introduce called alpha which is a return better than inflation right now we come to the third asset class right the third unfixed income asset class which is equities now equities like gold and real estate also carries a high degree of correlation but with one additional advantage what is that so to explain equities right when you invest in equities which is through the stock markets and through which mutual funds are a route you make a return by investing in corporates uh, which are listed in the stock market right so which means essentially you hope to make money from the profits that those companies earn and generally right there are multiple types of corporates in the market there are corporates which are existing in a situation where the product that they are producing is in a shortage of supply and some other corporates could be in a situation where their products they produce are in excess of supply so the simple demand supply equation tells you that when 
demand is high for a product, the producer sets the price. And when supply is excess, the consumer sets the price, right? So in the equity market, you will find that producers who are in a demand excess scenario in their industry are able to set the price and hence set a price rise in their products, which is rise higher than the price of inflation. And they are able to get away with it because of the shortage of the product and hence they make what is called a super profit over the inflation rise. Now, in the stock market, if you are then able to choose such companies for your investment, you are in effect using a very controversial word guaranteed over a longer period of time that this company's profit will grow faster than inflation and hence my stock price will grow faster than inflation. So, that's where the key, the overall stock market as a whole may or may not be inflation. It has done in the past. But by selecting those companies which in the particular time frame are in a very sweet spot in terms of their products demand exceeding the supply will deliver to you returns far higher than inflation. And hence, uh, equities by proper selection of stocks and sectors can be that one product which over a long period of time can beat inflation. So, in coming to the word asset allocation, then obviously a person would like to put his money a little bit in the fixed income basket where he wants certainty of his income, a little bit in gold and real estate which he knows are correlated with inflation and a little bit in the stock market where there is the expertise of a mutual fund or an asset manager who can help you beat inflation. So, the necessity for asset allocation, right? comes from the availability of these alternatives which, which promise you that you can end up at the end of your earnings period your the period in your life when you're earning you can end up with a wealth which is far more than sufficient for you to continue the quality of your life for the part of your life when you're not earning so that is the benefit of asset allocation right uh, as a as a as a process and it's obviously something that every individual whether he likes it or not I, except Uncle Scrooge, as I mentioned, every other human being on this planet, right, has done asset allocation, will continue to do asset allocation in his life. So, Sunil, thanks for that. Now, you mentioned assets that give you fixed returns and ones that give you variable returns. And while we invest in these to generate income so we can continue earning when we don't have a source of income and also to beat inflation, are there other factors that affect allocation or is there a thumb rule one should follow when it comes to this? Uh... What I would say is that um, what affects asset allocation, yes. So, obviously, the inflation outlook affects asset allocation, right? So, when you're looking at it and if you feel that the economy is in a prolonged period of low inflation, then the fixed income assets uh, would be should be higher in your portfolio. So, I think the overall inflationary outlook, I think, is an important factor to, to consider, right? Uh, apart from that, you know, the time frame of your investment, right? Uh, you make investment for three years, for five years, for 10 years, 20 years. That also affects when it comes to asset allocation. Third, the age at which you are entering, that also factors. So, there are multiple factors that affect asset allocation. You can't have one rule which fits all. It is a function of various factors. So, for someone in their 20s, um, what would you suggest would be so an appropriate a, from, Yeah, oh, Thank you, for that question. From a pure... Um, age alone if you take it, it and if you are also clear that your time frame is longer than let's say five years so with these two rules in mind right uh, that can be a thumb rule if your investment time frame is long term that is you're not 
That means when I say long term, that means you are not trying to predict inflation. So with that being said, that you're not trying to predict inflation, for your short term asset allocation, you can use inflation expectation to decide. For a longer term perspective, there is a thumb rule. And that thumb rule says that 100 minus your age should be your variable uh, income and your age should be equal to the balance should be equal to the fixed income. So when you said uh, someone starts in their 20s, so 100 minus the 20 is 80, which means 80% should be in the variable income asset class, which is, as I said, gold, real estate, equities should be high. And 20% only needs to be put into a fixed uh, kind of income. Say. So that's the way I would suggest is the mix for someone starting in their 20s. So while this thumb rule is uh, specified, I made the qualification that this is the longer term allocation that he should look at. In the shorter term, I can't give a thumb rule because if even a 20-year-old person might want to make a three-year investment, so then he has to look at the inflation expectation, take the benefit of an advisor to say if it's a low inflation scenario, then if fixed returns available from bank deposits or company deposits are much higher, I'm actually making a real return which is positive, then I should be satisfied and do that. So it's a very dynamic process. What about uh, those in their 30s or 40s? Would this still hold good? See, the broad thumb rule can be held as a kind of, a, you know, lighthouse, which you say, okay, that's there always. And the shorter term factors. But the key, I would say, between the 20s and the 30s and the 40s is that in the 20s, a person is starting off on their life, right? So I would say that in the 20s, while technically for a longer term, you know, uh, he can take a longer term view and when make those longer term decisions, his surpluses are going to be smaller because he's going to be in an expenditure and, and you know, fixed asset building space like, you know, a two-wheeler, a car. So his surplus income available for asset allocation would be much lesser, right? Now, in his 30s and 40s, he would have hopefully got taken care of his basic needs and his consumer surplus would be much higher. Right. So I would say in the 30s and 40s, right, a much more dynamic approach. Because in the mid-30s and 40s, uh, they would have already had the size of their family. They would know whether their parents are uh, ailing, they need to be taken care, at what stage are their children. They'll have a clarity in terms of uh, when they'd expect their daughter to go for higher education, when do they expect their son to do. So the clarity around time frames, it's much more clearer. And I would say that in the 30s and 40s, right, they should create buckets, where the end goal should be specified and the asset allocation to achieve that end goal should be separately assessed. So a blend of different asset allocation missed based on each goal is what I would say in the 30s and 40s a person should enter into. So if you could have, like I said, you know, if he expects in, in say five years time his son to go into college, then for that five year time frame, he will have to look at a blend of fixed and unfixed. Whereas, right, that's so. So I would say, there, these are the factors to be taken into consideration in the mid-30s and 40s, whereas in the 20s, whatever little surplus he has, he should look at it as a longer-term risk play and invest that. Wow, that's interesting. So, uh, we've looked at people who, you know, have a source of income and are earning, so they could do that. But what do people do if they've retired? Well, if you've already retired, uh, then, uh, you know, you're, there are two scenarios here 
Okay. So when we talked about retirement, right? So obviously the rule that I specified in the twenties was essentially for to plan for his retirement, right? So in terms of hundred minus his age. Now you take the thing, a guy who's person is retiring, let's say you know ninety percent of people would be between fifty eight and sixty. Right, so if the rule is hundred minus sixty is forty, so somebody would ask, "Hey, are you saying should put forty percent of his money in equities at this stage in his life?" So here there are some interesting thought processes which I'd like to share with people. Right, when you retire, you think that you want to play safe, and so you tend to avoid equities. So even this hundred minus forty rule, you ball ball get it, and say, "Why should I put forty percent?" But I think there are two things here. First aspect is that there is your own risk disposition. Second is how how successful have your earlier investments been? So that at what stage are you in, right? The third aspect is that what is the expected longevity of your life? So let me address all of these. So risk profile wise, there are person who are inventory risk takers and there are person who are inherently uh, conservative. Now I'm worried about the inherently conservative person because because he's been conservative all his life, he hasn't built up enough surplus at this point. now he has a challenge in front of him right the point and then i want to bring it is the longevity of his life today thanks to medical advancement and the fact that normal disease like cholera and dysentery don't kill people our average life expectancy has gone up medical facilities available have gone up so today in fact there is very often a scenario where people experience that their retired life is longer than their working life So you're actually only halfway through your life. So to say I've retired, and then you know to say that oh now I'm going to wind down space is a very wrong thing because it's very very hard for a person to have built up enough income to last an equal amount of time, right? So I think that even at retirement stage, a person must continue to have various time frames for investment, where some part of his money is for his immediate consumption, but some part is. For a later stage, you should still be positively investing because the average life in India is now seventy-two years. So, if the average is seventy-two, more this means that is the very poor and the very rich. So, you take a middle-class person, he'll probably be eighty. So, which means you have twenty more years. So, part of your thing should be to build money for when you are seventy. So, you still can have a ten-year outlook in your investment cycle. So, I would say that when you are retired, it doesn't. dramatically change you still have to be smart you still have to invest in longer term equity assets to build wealth creation and the strategy and the third thing here is that even for the risk comfortable investor because a person who's comfortable with risk over a lifetime if his temperament is that would be sitting on a huge surplus today because over the long term the equity markets have delivered that kind of return in the past such a person with surplus you'll say oh he's already built a surplus should he now just sit quiet and liquidate no the key factor is such a person who's taken risk and has built wealth is also probably a person who would like to leave a legacy for his future generations right so while you look at your life you also know that a certain portion of your money you want to bequeath to your children and to the grandchildren so for you to take even a longer term investment where you put them as the beneficiary put them as the persons who will get the money after your lifetime right you can still make the longer term because when they get the money they also would need it at a much later stage in their life so to the extent that you are thinking about legacy for your future generations i would say even a 20 year time frame for a retired person is not too short right so from that perspective right i think a retired person the only thing limiting is that his income generation is now probably not as high it was but whatever income he is getting he should still do an asset allocation based on various goals right 
of the uh, of his family and his future generations and so still a proper disciplined asset allocation will continue to benefit him wow that's a lot of insights for people of all ages sunil thank you for that uh, we sure hope our listeners benefit from these strategies and tips while choosing their asset allocation mixes thank you again for joining us on the wise cast thank you all the very best to everyone the wise cast is a podcast initiative by sundaram mutual We hope you like listening to us as much as we love presenting it to you. Stay tuned to the Wisecast to learn more about the world of mutual funds and investing. Until next time, happy investing. Mutual fund investments are subject to market risks. Read all scheme related documents carefully.